today's world is full of arguments. People just argue about anything. And I mean, I'm politics, religion, sports, politics, religion. <laughs> it just seems like everybody is a critic. Everybody's an expert. If, if you go on social media, if you're a social media person, don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. Ever, ever read the comments. It's just... And it, and it seems like sometimes these arguments come up out of nowhere. You're just having a conversation with a person, and all of a sudden they, they try to, to engage you in a debate or something. And comedian Bill Ingvall shared a story about an interaction like this he had. He said, this guy from L.A. sits down next to me, and he says... You like baseball? I said, oh man, I love baseball. So he goes, did you know that if Jesus had played ball, he'd have been the greatest ball player ever? <laughs> like, I'm going to argue with that logic. <laughs> so I sat there for a second, and then I said, did you know that if Babe Ruth had been the Messiah, the Catholics would have beer and hot dogs at communion? <laughs> so the man got up and left. <laughs> but in biblical times... Uh, well, it's just like today, but in biblical times, it was commonplace uh, for the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, all of them to have these spiritual discussions. And I think a lot of them, it was like the, the fishing tales, you know. I think they like to try to impress each other. They like to, to tell each other how much they knew by, by how much they could say or how much they would talk. So they would have these spiritual discussions. And when Jesus came along, um, part of their, their frustration and struggle with him was they would try to catch Jesus with these things. And they would try to trip him up and trick him because he was gaining popularity. Um, people were listening to him. He was criticizing them. And so they were always sort of, I guess, coming at Jesus, if you will. And so they'd always try to trick him. And then Jesus would somehow always turn it back uh, and just sort of turn it back on them. And so that was one of the frustrations. And we see it a lot in Scripture. But in today's passage, uh, in, we actually see an interaction. And it's a, a little bit different. We see this teacher of the law come up to Jesus uh, and ask him this questions, a question. Now, now moments before, um, if you read prior to today's verses, Jesus had just had this discussion with the Sadducees. Now, it's important to note for that discussion that the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. So they didn't. They believed that when you're you're dead, you're dead. They didn't believe that anything else, no afterlife. So they actually try to engage Jesus, and you can tell it's a trick question because they've asked Jesus. Well, what happens, because Jewish law would say that if a woman, and I'm trying to say this loosely as much as I understand it, if a woman was married and her husband died and she was widowed, and that they didn't have any children and the, the bro other brothers were unmarried, then she would marry the next brother or something like that. And so basically their question was, well, what happens if this woman goes through all seven brothers <laughs> and then they all die and they go to heaven? What happens then? I don't know. But Jesus sort of turns it on its ear, and, and you have to read that. I'm not going to go into that. But, but that was the discussion that it just had. And it tells us that this man liked Jesus' answer. So when he approaches Jesus, he's not continuing to try to trick him. He, I think, approaches him with this pure heart, with this legitimate, I want to know what you think about this. So he, he approaches him, and he says, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, at the time, I do believe there were 613-odd commandments that they had to follow, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's what I read in the commentary, but there, there were a lot of commandments that they had to follow. 
But he, had, he, he noticed that he did say that, you know, Jesus had given a good answer. He liked Jesus' answer. That's why he approaches him. And it's one of the few times that we do see them approach Jesus without this ulterior motive, without trying to trick him up, without trying to, you know, call him out in front of everybody and trap him. So it's an, an honest question. And this is what Jesus' answer is. He said, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The teacher's response to Jesus is kind of surprising, and we'll get into that, but he says, well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's surprising because he does agree with Jesus, but we've already talked about it wasn't a trick question, so he wasn't coming to pick a fight. But the other reason that it's, is because the first commandment, it's, it's not surprising because the first commandment is to love God. It's, it's an important command to the Jewish people, and it's part of the Shema, which is a daily prayer that the Jewish people would say. Uh, it was recited uh, using parts of the Old Testament, including Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which says, He wrote Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. The second part that Jesus said about loving your neighbor and that the, the, the man agreed with is actually taken from Leviticus 19.18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, for both Jesus and the teacher of the law, the love of your neighbor naturally flowed out of love for God. Notice that Jesus actually says, let me back up, Jesus actually says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment commandment than these. So he lumps these two together into one. So both of them saw that these two were inseparable from each other, that if you love God, you must love your neighbor. They both saw that your vertical relationship with God translated to your horizontal relationship with the people in this world. We see Jesus address the same issue in Matthew, that's the one that's most common that we use, because instead of the, this man coming up and asking Jesus that question, someone asks him, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. For us to understand that my neighbor is not just the person next to me, that my neighbor is anybody, even those that are a little bit different. But see, in our world today, it seems like Christianity has separated out this love for God and this love of neighbor. And I think part of the reason we do that is, and it's, it's a tradition that I grew up in, I grew up with this belief that uh, your goal is to get into heaven. Your goal is to get into heaven. It's kind of like the rich man from two or three weeks ago when he came and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I grew up with this tradition that it was about you getting yourself into heaven. It was a very sort of selfish view, like, the rest of you on your own, it's all about me, you know. That was kind of that belief, is how I grew up. And I think Christianity, sort of, that's translated into how we see Christianity in our world today. We see a lot of people that, that claim faith in God, but they don't care about the people around them. They don't care about their neighbor. You see Christians who, who, who claim love for God, but they don't have any concern over what's happening to the poor. They don't have any concern 
you know, they don't like welfare, they don't like all of that stuff, because it's, it's all about them. But the thing is, when Jesus said to love your neighbor, he knew that your lover, neighbor would, would act, look, believe, and, and love differently than you. And I think that was the whole point. I mean, I get it. People are annoying. <laughs> Some more than others. No. Um, since I started working from home, it's very people-y out in the world, isn't it? <laughs> like, I'm at home working, you know, I like doing my, I have to talk to people once in a while, but, but then I go out, and I'm like, man, I want to go back home and get my sweats back on. I have to put pants on for this. But, but it's, it's that idea that people can be terrible. Like, we can be mean. We can be, we can be judgmental. People can be pretty much horrible. But people can be full of hope and promise as well. And I think that's the thing we have to remember is that everybody else in this world is struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with. Anxiety or depression or grief or sadness. They want a lot of the same things you do. They just want to be happy. They just want to enjoy their life. But our love for God is shown in our love for other people. Dorothy Day said, I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. I'm not going to ask you to name that person. <laughs> but think about the people that just get under your skin. You're called to love people that you don't really like. But see, there's another part of this interaction that's kind of surprising too. Because in his answer to Jesus, the teacher says... And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. This was a huge deal for this teacher to say this because rituals, the law, sacrifices, all of it was of the utmost importance to the religious leaders of the day. Think about us in our own churches. Think about our, not necessarily rituals, but the things that we do. Imagine if, if we were to cut something out of the bullets and be like, oh, we didn't say that today. Imagine if we did something different. Well, we're not going to do that this year. Some of you, we've experienced that. You know, we didn't do Heller's. We haven't done the chicken barbecue. There's some things we haven't done. And you get that. We're not doing that. But what he's saying is that loving God and loving your neighbor is more important than all of the stuff that we do. And that was a big deal for them to say that. But I think it's also because he knew that it did no good to offer vert sacrifices, to offer prayers and, and offerings to God if your heart wasn't in the right place. Scripture actually tells us that if, you're, if you have an issue with your brother, before you come and offer your sacrifices, you're supposed to go and fix it. I think I shared a story, I've shared it before the story of church camp, when we were getting ready to take communion, and I had some issues with my old church that had fired me. Uh, we got a new pastor. The pastor didn't renew my contract, so they let me go. And there was some ill will. We were at church camp together. And the, lead, and the speaker said, I feel like there's some people that need to work out some things before we come to the altar today. And my, my, my youth group knew about this. And I'm like, well, shucks. Now, now i got to actually do the right thing here because they know. And it was a hard and it was a good thing. But how would this translate to us today? I've said this before, but, but it's the idea of who are you when nobody else is watching you? Who are you when you're not in church, but you're at home, you're at work, you're at school? When you're out in the community shopping and around others, when you're stuck in traffic, who are you? And what would the way you treat other people say about your love for God? 
Um, last night before I went to bed, I um, was checking the Pacers score. They lost again. Uh, but I was checking their score on my phone and, and then ended up going down the Twitter, the social media rabbit hole. If you've ever done one of these things where you're like, next thing you know, it's like 10 minutes later, and like, I'm still here. But I actually came across a discussion on there. Somebody shared a story about how flight attendants um, have been sharing that people are worse than they've ever been. Like they've been doing this for years and people are being more mean and rude. And then it became just this discussion about everybody sharing about how uh, teachers, how they're seeing kids just becoming more rude and more um, just obnoxious. And other people were sharing like retail stories and so, you know, just people talking about how in this world people are treating each other worse, uh, especially people that serve. And right now there's this shortage in the service industry and people are being nasty in our world. But the thing we have to remember as Christians is when it is darkest, just the smallest amount of light makes the biggest difference. And the darker it is, the more that light makes a difference and it doesn't have to be much. And I say this because I think as Christians, we need to be aware of how we treat people. We need to be aware when we're out in the world how we treat our servers. I mean, I've gone to restaurants and they're like swamped and you can tell this poor girl's probably put like 50,000 miles on her shoes that day because she's just all over the place. And, and we've been there and, you know, they come up and they apologize and, you know, we try to be as nice as we can, but that makes a difference. Uh, just how we treat the people in the world, especially now when people in, that are out in public are so used to people being mean and rude to them. That a little bit of light makes a lot of difference. Our interaction between Jesus and the teacher ends this way. It says, when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask him any more questions for obvious reasons. Being not far from the kingdom of God. See, it's not about being close to, to punching his ticket to heaven. It's, it's not about, well, you're going to die soon. It's not, nothing like that. But I used to grow up with this idea that the, all the talk in the Bible about the kingdom of God and, and ushering in the kingdom of God was all about once we leave this earth and we go on to our eternal reward or whatever words we use. But I've come to learn that when, when God and when Jesus and others are talking about God's kingdom come, they're not talking about a future day. That God's kingdom was ushered in when Jesus came to this earth. That Jesus came to, and the way he treated people and how he healed and how he helped. What Jesus did on this earth was a little bit of a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. And that continues with us. The way we treat people, the way we act and behave, how we love each other and love others. We're ushering in the kingdom of God. As we as Christians, if we work towards peace and if we, we work towards treating people and helping people, that is all us ushering in the kingdom of God. And that's part of our responsibility. And it's part of that is God ruling in the hearts and the lives of those who claim faith in him. And we will know that God is ruling in our hearts and in our lives by how we live our lives and how we treat other people. Not by the, the fancy words we use or, or how often we come to church. We will know by the way we love. And today as we celebrate All Saints Day, we celebrate and honor those who have left us over the past year. And, and we still remember beyond as well, but we today specifically focus on those that have gone on. 
We celebrate and honor those who had an influence in our lives and in the lives of others. We, we celebrate and honor those who have loved us, those that, that, that helped us get to where we are. And not to be morbid, but one of these days, our name is going to be on this list. Later rather than sooner is my hope. But one day, our name will be on this list. But until that time comes, the question I want to ask is, what are we doing right now to help bring God's kingdom to this earth? What are we doing to, to help grow this kingdom? What are we doing to, to help people remember us? And to, and to, just, to be influenced by, by what we do and say. How is our love for God being shown through our love for other people? Even the ones that we don't like so much. And who are we when nobody else is looking? Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you today. We ask that you would be with us, that you would help us to make a difference in this world. We ask that you would help us to go out into this world and to love others. And, and in a world that right now just seems so dark and so full of hatred and, and violence and just anger and, and animosity, we ask that you would help us to be that light in a dark place. Help us to be like Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.